This is It Is What It Is, a podcast gumbo featuring Max Lee. What's going on, y'all? This is Max Lit, and this is the Is It Is What It Is podcast, a podcast gumbo featuring Max Lit. Uh, and I'm excited for today because we have a special guest that I'm not going to be like, oh, we've been trying to get this person on for so long, but I've been waiting for the right moment. And I think the right moment has come along. So we have Marlanda DeKine on with us today. What's going on, Marlanda? What's up? How are you? I'm well. I'm really happy to be here. I'm very excited. I'm really, 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 really happy to have you here. Um, we were talking a little bit before as far as where we wanted to go with the podcast and all that stuff. But I, I think the best place to start right now is tell us what's been going on with you recently. Recently. Um, let's see. Recently, I've been... <sighs> My my little dog passed um, right. in November, so I've been grieving the 14-year relationship I have with my dog, Malachi. Um, I, I think cre- creative-wise, uh, I've, been, I've been giving myself a lot of time to rest, mm-hmm. to kind of take stock and reflect on what has already been created, but I'm also still... Uh, rehearsing for R.S. Poetica, a piece of work that is um, written and set to music by Douglas Boyce um, to be played by Counterinduction, a chamber ensemble. Mm-hmm. And so I've been spending time with that text and just getting ready to travel again with the band. Um, outside of that, talking about life with my family, um, staying connected with my friends, asking how they're doing, how they, how's their heart, like just trying to stay connected and be more connected with myself, really. I hear you, no doubt. Um, I started with what you've been up to recently on purpose without ah. the general introduction because I wanted to hear and I wanted the, the listeners to hear just you as a person. Yeah. Um, but now I will give the general introduction. So Melinda DeKine is a gender nonconforming poet, a voice and a presence who makes uplifting connections through poetry, consultation and workshop facilitation. Her collection of poems, Thresh and Hold, won the 2021 New Southern Voices Poetry Prize at Hub City Press, judged by Gabrielle Calva. I knew I was going to mess it up. Calva Caressi. Calva Caressi. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Uh, DeKine is also the creator of Unnamed LLC, a company that guides people, communities, and organizations towards their deepest selves. I am from A Punch and a Kiss, a multimedia book and mixtape project um, that was part of the initial Unnamed uh, launch, as it were. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. All right. And then Soul and Ancestor Workshop and Speaking Down Barriers. You are the founder of Speaking Down Barriers, a nonprofit for equity and justice, DeKine's work is obsessed with ancestry, memory, and the process of staying within one's own body, leaving spells and incantations for others to follow for themselves. I hope I did that introduction some justice for you. Yeah, thank you. I love I love your um you're a great host. You're a great host. You got a great sound. <laughs> um, I'll take it. So that's <laughs> so with everything that you've been um, working on and experiencing and your accomplishments. Um, I, one of the things that when, so I work with Speaking Down Barriers, finally, I've been working with Speaking Down Barriers for three years. Unfortunately, it was after you moved on to bigger and better things, as it were, or even just different things. Yeah, um, just different things. Yeah. But I remember me coming to you on several occasions, wanting to be more involved and not being able to. Yeah. And, uh, one of the things that is often talked about, not by me. <laughs> is that I was partly responsible for naming Speaking Down Barriers. Yes. Uh, so if you would talk a little bit about what Speaking Down Barriers was before it was Speaking Down Barriers and how you came about with the idea to rename it. Yeah, so it was Poetry and Conversation. Um, oh, man. So 
I did a poem at a, a conference for child abuse prevention and Scott Neely was in the audience that day. And so he approached me and asked if we could have coffee and we started having coffee pretty regularly, regularly. And Scott invited me to come and do poems at his very white church. And the person that I started Spoken Word Spartanburg with, Antonio Max, Johnny C. Weaver, was like, you know, I really think we need to approach this together and go together. You know, we don't know who this white man is. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So you didn't know Scott before that point? Before, before doing that poem that day at that conference? No. Oh, see, I did not know that. No, I didn't no. know that. Okay. We didn't know who this dude was. Interesting wrinkle. Right. <laughs> so, so then it was, we would go in and read a poem. And because Johnny C had experience with um, working in the community, he had attended some kind of workshop he had attended that he felt challenged the status quo, the status quo. And so he wanted to do something similar. Mm -hmm. So he was facilitating that space. And so he couldn't facilitate it anymore. And then when we went different directions, it was then myself facilitating the dialogue at Poetry and Conversation, and then began to, to, to make it into more of a team. We wanted to, we being myself and Scott, I think Scott noticed that I was feeling a little bit spread thin more than I did. And so I started to reach out to people in the community that were friends of mine or people that I know or that I knew that was doing different work or not different work, similar work really, um, but doing it in different spaces and bring them in and say, hey, would you like to facilitate? Mm -hmm. um, but it was really just getting the community out to have difficult conversations around poetry and letting the poems be the center of the conversation kind of like a, a centerpiece for everyone to bounce off of. Um, when it changed, we were deciding that we wanted to found a nonprofit. And I think I put on Facebook mm -hmm. uh, a post and I said, you know, we're looking for a new name for poetry and conversation. And you put speak down barriers or speaking down barriers. I mm -hmm. can't remember which one. And that's what we went with. And then we incorporated it. So that's how I remember it as well, uh, as far as the Facebook post. And then um, I don't know. It's weird because I was like, well, this is what I'm thinking. And there were a number of other, you know, yeah. people that commented. And I didn't think for a million years that what I had suggested would be the name for Speaking Out Barriers. Uh, so yeah. then it becomes Speaking Our Barriers. You and Scott Neely uh, co-founded Speaking Our Barriers, right? Right, and right, so, right. And, what, and nine and, years later? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a trip. It's a trip. And it's and it's still going strong. That's why um I can't say that I went to go do bigger and better things. I definitely um I stepped out when it was time for me to step out for mental health reasons. And I think I get to witness what it continues to be. And I, I can't think of a better way, you know, I think Scott said it best once, you know, founders can sometimes leave something and like mm -hmm. try to kill it or destroy it because they're leaving. And I'm just glad that something different is happening. Yeah, I remember um, just being loosely associated with it, like attending the community gatherings, uh, trying to get there after work and, you know, just knowing that, hey, a friend of mine has this thing going on and I want to support yeah. uh, and and seeing where it has gone over those years. I'm happy to have known you and, and also happy to finally be able to work with this organization because it has transformed me uh, mm -hmm. and I've watched it transform other people as well. Um, part of that time, though, you were also working on a book which ended up leading up to being a multimedia or mixtape kind of concept of a project. And that was uh, the book and project uh, entitled I Am From a Punch and a Kiss, which we mentioned earlier was part of the launch of Unnamed LLC. So with everything that you were doing with Speaking Out, with Speaking Out Barriers, poetry and conversation was turned into Speaking Out Barriers. Yeah, leading yeah. up to that, what, what was going on 
as you were crafting uh, that that project? As I was crafting Iron from a Punch and a Kiss? Mm -hmm. And then oh, also oh, wow. building it into a multimedia slash mixtape kind of deal. Yeah. I think because I come out of the spoken word slam poetry background, I knew that I wanted the poems to be heard alongside being in a book. And it was gonna be my first book. I'd never done that before outside of like a chat book. Um, and what it meant for it to be multimedia, I just didn't have all the tools. So what I ended up with was the book and the mixtape. But what I really wanted was a book, a mixtape, and some kind of a production, mm -hmm. like a actual like live theater kind of production, just something I had never really done myself. And I didn't challenge myself to go see something like that so that I could know how to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah. But um, the editors on the project were Scott Neely, my friend Scott, and Latria Graham, um, both who were writers. And the process was literally me holding hundreds of pages, going through them after writing them and then bringing them to each of them to have them mark them up and tell me, you know, really challenge me on what a poem is, challenge me and my ideas about, you know, whether I was being like a teacher in the poem like, am I trying to educate someone or am I trying to communicate art? Um, encouraging me to read people like Nikki Finney. Um, Latreya Graham bought a book to me. I can't remember which book by Nikki Finney it was, um, but she encouraged me to read it before publishing this book. And then it got to a point where I think they, they didn't have much else to say about it. It was gonna be what it was. And then mm -hmm. I trusted what it was. And the book was published by myself through Unnamed LLC. And um, then I went to Speak Life Studios in Spartanburg and laid the tracks with um, some original music by different producers in uh, Spartanburg. And I'm trying to remember who the producers were on the project. Well, um, that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, I got I to gotta shout them out, though. I can't just... I can't just say producers and not, um, I can pull it up right here, but yeah. So it was a, it was a communal project. Like it was, it, it's my project, but I think what I love the most is that I was working with artists I met at different points in my artistic career. So Fox Styles Beats, shout out to Fox Styles, Ian Morris of Listening to Smile. Mm -hmm. And it was recorded at Speak Life Studio. And um, yeah, that was in 2018. Yeah. So, yeah, that that was that was all happening while speaking out barriers was happening. Yeah, I yeah. was I was pretty busy. I remember how busy you were. Um, I think maybe 2014, we were working on some music and some yeah. poetry. And then, you know, you schedule stuff and you got to reschedule. You got to cancel. You got to move to yeah. a different space. So I remember that. But I remember also. Uh, when the finished project, as far as the book goes, was mm -hmm. done, I was like, wow, you know, because I had in 2016 had released my book. And when I read your book, I was like, there's so much more I could have done in my book. But that's what we all do. That's what we all do. We all, I'm, st I'm still looking at this book like, oh. <laughs> but I love, I love, I love I Am From A Punch and a Kiss because, and this is just a personal note because I was kind of there in the space. Yeah. You know, I remember the conversations that we were having with you, you know, having concerns. And when you talk about the editing, you were like, I don't know. I've never had anybody edit my work. I don't know how I'm gonna feel about that. Yes. And yes. I remember me giving, not necessarily giving you advice, but talking about how I felt about editing. And I was like, yo, I'm good with the editing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I also realized that, you know, from seeing some of the stuff that you share with me, during the editing process and how important it is to have other eyes on your stuff. You know, it, it, it makes sense to let other people that you trust um, take a look and see if there's anything that you can take away that you can add so that when the project is complete, you feel good about it. Is, am, am I, well, that's how I felt at the time. Yeah, I definitely, 
I definitely feel that having trusted readers look at your work, offer feedback, offer line edits, you know, push you on your word choices. Um, I definitely think that that editing is is something that's a necessity when it comes to putting your book out into the world. No doubt. And I would imagine that as you put out I Am From A Punch and a Kiss, um, and then the work that you did in between or after that, and there was a lot that transpired personally and creatively uh, from that project in between the latest project, which is Thresh and Hold, um, what are some of the things that you experienced that you want to share with us personally and creatively that influenced your transformation, as it were, artistically, creatively, uh, leading up to Thresh and Hold? Yeah, um, I would say personally, I didn't know what was, I didn't know what was happening creatively at the time, but personally, I had to move back home unexpected and unexpectedly. And I found myself back on Eris property, family land, um, really confused and angry, having, you know, I felt entitled to my life supposed to be happening in some different way than the way that it was at the time. And so I'm back at my parents' home and I had this book out in the world, but I, you know, I think it was 2019 and I just, I just couldn't make, <laughs> I had a hard time making sense. I started digging holes on the family land, mm. um, trying to get my anger out. And I always, I've always written since I was a kid, especially when um, I have a lot of emotions come up. So I found myself writing, digging holes, uh, walking through my granddad's house. He's deceased. Um, walking on the land with my grandmother, who I never met because she died before I was born. Mm. Um, and just wondering about her. And my grandmother on my maternal side was was passing. She had dementia. And so I would spend time with her and ask questions and just listen to her stories. Um, and her husband, my grandfather, he had passed some years ago. But I found myself eventually, you know, I was in therapy too. So while I was in therapy, I was talking about you know, this anger that I have, but also telling these beautiful stories about family and connection that I, I didn't really see mm. um, until this therapist was pointing it out to me and really encouraged me to follow the path of listening to my ancestors as much mm -hmm. as I could. Mm -hmm. And I would say taking the time out to really write what I was feeling while at the same time trying to write letters to the people who had come before me that I don't know and the ones that I did know. And then the, the trick was to let them write back to me through me, mm. through, through an automatic writing process. And this is a part of the soul and ancestor workshop that I lead now. But that process opened up something in me that really kind of brought me back to life um, into seeing that, you know, it wasn't like I had ruined my life and it was over. Because that's how I felt coming back home. Like I yeah. messed up something and, and, and it was all over. Mm -hmm. um, and to be able to see like, oh, th this is a huge gift. Like I'm back in a way kind of where I started, but the information that I'm paying attention to now goes beyond me. Mm -hmm. And it, it it's it's my roots. It's my foundation. It's where I'm from. How this is it began to fill me up and I was getting more and more connected to the Gullah Geechee community, which mm -hmm. I am a part of. And so I was just learning more about myself culturally um, to get some roots underneath me to see where I was grounded and what I was rooted in. So, yeah, I would say that was the big change between. I am from a punch and a kiss and thresh and hold. No doubt. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about how much, you know, I am from a punch and a kiss means to me 
as a reader and as an artist. And I remember, you know, you were sharing parts of Thresh and Hole with me before it was published. And I think you had maybe uh, performed one or two of them or the pieces on YouTube. And then I saw you at your reading uh, when you did a couple of pieces. And that's when I noticed how different the two projects were from each other. Um, but I also understood, you know, the transition from you being in Greenville, South Carolina, moving back to Georgetown, South Carolina. But there's also a part, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, you mentioned Plantersville quite a few times. Yeah, yeah, Plantersville is a community in Georgetown County, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I, no, go ahead. I was just going to say it's where my parents grew up, their parents grew up, and mm -hmm. their parents grew up. Right. That's as far back as I can trace trace it. Okay. And I and the reason why I brought that up is because of a lot of the conversations that we were having surrounding uh, some of the material uh, for Thresh and Hold uh, had a lot to do with, or at least your thought process and your creative process had a lot to do with being in that area or reflecting back on your parents uh, being from that area and some of the things that they've experienced and some of the things that you were uh, learning about your family from that area uh, and how that made its way into the project. Yeah, yeah, because what really tripped me out was it's called Plantersville for the white planters who own the plantations back mm. there. But these, you know, Europeans weren't planting. Mm. So that that really, <laughs> I found, I guess like my anger moved, it kind of transitioned. And I found myself angry that here I was the descendant of people who did plant, who are not considered the planters. They're considered to be the enslaved. Um, but they were using technologies mm -hmm. that come from Western Central Africa. And so there was a reason that people were harvesting other people and bringing them, trafficking them to this country. And that was because they had this technology that Europeans knew nothing about. Right. And so um, it was a reclamation of what Plannersville is, at least for me, it was it was a, a trying to reclaim, remake, remember, as in literally remember putting together the pieces of of what a place is and what it means to come from a place as a descendant of Gullah Geechee people or mm -hmm. African American people in the South gotcha. along that corridor. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, I remember just hearing those stories, how it impacted me. Um, being a northerner, <laughs> as it were, from New York and moving down south and not really knowing except what we were taught in school or what we kind of experienced from family members who have spent some time in the south, um, that took it to a whole nother level for me. And I remember just being in awe of some of the experiences that you were sharing with me that you were just learning about um, at the time. So, okay, so Threshing Hold is kind of moving through its space, it's, 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 it's gaining some traction. And then you came across this opportunity to do uh, some of your pieces along with music. And that was called Ars Poetica. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Oh, uh, yeah, you're, you're pronouncing it correct, correctly. The two projects, though, they don't, they don't have, like Ars Poetica isn't a part of Thresh and Hold. Right, right. But it was a piece that I was writing right around that time. I met I met Douglas while I was on a, a retreat, just trying to I guess get get closer to myself and understand more about this anger I was walking around with. And um his son was four at the time and saw me way down a hill and was just waving at me like he knew me from somewhere. And um, he asked me to eat with them, his son, the four-year-old. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I did not want to eat with anybody, but I can't tell a four-year-old no. Right. So, <laughs> so I end up sitting there with Douglas and his family and we start talking about what we do. And I'm talking about 
a, you know, myself as a writer and I'm from a punch and a kiss. So this is before threshing hold. Mm-hmm. It's before I even move home. Oh, wow. And I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's before I even move home. And we got to know each other just pretty, just casually, really. Just a very casual conversation. We exchanged information. And about once a year, one of us would reach out to the other to say hi between the four-year-old. Either the four-year-old would ask about me or I would ask about him. Oh, wow. Um, and then Douglas says, do you want to work on a project together? Um, something to that degree. I can't remember exactly how he approached me about it. And um, I say yes. But it took years for me to really get settled enough on the inside of my body to be able to write the poem. Mm-hmm. And the poem, it's a longer poem that's broken down into five parts. And um, it's played with guitar, violin, and cello, and myself performing the words. And um, it too is about what it means to come home and see oneself. And uh, I would also say it plays in the realms of opening into divinity and one's own divinity. Um, there, there's something really transcendent about the piece and yeah, so, so yeah, they're not connected, but I, I guess in a way they are because they were being created during that same time, that, that same 2019 to 2022. Yeah. yeah I automatically connected them together because <laughs> I think I, I, I heard you talking about it either right before. Yeah. I think it was before Threshing Hole was published. And you were just kind of cueing me into some of the things that you were experiencing at the time. So I automatically just connected them together. But I'm glad you explained that because it, it, it lends to the journey of Thresh and Hold being completed and also some of the things that you were um, exposed to or were able to experience because of the project um, that I feel uh, lends a lot of weight and value to the finished product, even though those two things are not connected per se so yeah thank you for for sharing the the real backstory behind that um one of the things that i really wanted to touch on um was so we talked about you growing up in georgetown moving here and then going back to georgetown and how that impacted you personally and creatively um but you also experienced a number of different transitions um, and one of those transitions was how you identify uh, being different from when you were here in Greenville to when you moved back to Georgetown and kind of moving through that space. So if you if you if you will just kind of walk me through or walk the listeners through um, that transition as well. Yeah, yeah. I so I'm gender nonconforming and I think some part of myself always knew that. You know, I think as I, when I was a kid, there were questions I had about things that um, my parents couldn't answer for me. Um, I, I, I didn't, oh man, I hated, I hated the way that I was made to wear certain things, do certain things, act a certain way because I was considered to be a girl. And it's interesting I, I will always be my parents' daughter, mm-hmm. and I very much take a sense of pride and honor in that. And so the way I identify is like maybe a little bit strange, but it feels right to me, which is mm-hmm. the gender nonconforming Black woman. And so that's why she and they is my pronouns. Um, I reject the idea that gender is anything other than a construct. And um, I'm really interested in a genderless world and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, While also trying to hold space for uh, parts of the community, especially the black community who don't understand what's happening. And um, I found myself wanting to write like this enormous love letter to everybody that's like, yo, like this is really, like before we were 
here in this country, we had no concerns about gender for the most part. Um, and, and the more that I am exposed to the research and the history of who we are as a people, I realized that something that I was confused about as a child, I was confused about it because it never belonged to me. Mm. And um, yeah, so without getting too ethereal, I'll, <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll just say like, you know, I'm gender non-conforming. I, you know, I remember dating dudes for years and I had one guy I showed up and, and, you know, it's more than about just what you wear, but this yeah. is the example that comes up to me, comes up for me is like, I showed up in some shorts, like basketball shorts and some jeans. Mm -hmm. I mean, basketball shorts and a t-shirt. And they were like, do you like me? <laughs> and, <I'm, laughs> and when I look back at that moment, I'm like, that's so fucked up. Like really, why, why did that, why did that matter so much? Right. And was, you know, why did that matter so much? And it became but, about them, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. When I was just, I was just, I felt comfortable around being that comfortable. person. Exactly. And so I was being comfortable. So that's really what should have been maybe the focus. But we're so like, in my opinion, we're definitely, there's just so much we've been conditioned to believe mm -hmm. about ourselves that we have to take time to peel back the layers to figure out why we think what we do about certain things right. and um i'm still going through that process i don't i definitely don't want to pretend to to know everything about it because i you know i'm still figuring out who is marlanda what you know because I, I was sapient soul for such a long time mm. in the spoken word slam poetry community and I stepped away from that name because I could feel myself hiding behind it eventually. Mm -hmm. It got to a place, and especially getting closer to my ancestors, I wanted to be closer to, to who they were, who they are, and that's a decline, mm -hmm. and that's Ford, and that's, you know, Thelma and Frank and Silas and Elizabeth and... I, I want to be known by them as I seek to know them. And Sapient Soul was really a stage name, which isn't a bad thing, but it was, it was um, there was some performance attached to it. And I, I'm exhausted of performing myself. Gotcha. That last thought about it being exhausted of performing yourself, that's, that's, that's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. Yeah. Um, well, in, in, in those comments, you covered three, four, three out of the four questions that I had coming up. So that was a perfect transition. <laughs> um, and also I wanted to talk to you about, because I feel like so, as someone who knows you, uh, your journey to Paris kind of, at least from my perspective, I'm sure it was different from your perspective, but it seemed like that Paris journey kind of started a lot of the things that led up to where you are at this point um yeah. just if you can tell us a little bit about how that journey getting to the the, the point of the journey because i remember the, the uh the party that you threw before yeah. you left and that was an amazing time and then yes, you actually being in paris and sharing some of those things with me um how i just was like wow marlene is really doing it <laughs> if you can just share some some of the highlights uh, or some of the ways that that journey impacted you um, as far as then to now? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll say that I, you know, I Googled James Baldwin and MFA and the program at NYU popped up. I applied, I got in and it was NYU in Paris program. And um, the community around me helped me go by sending money to me so that I could pay to go travel to get there and um I think throughout that year I probably spent about 60 days in Paris mm. and it was spread out you know like 15 days here 30 right. days there and between what I learned from my professors at the time at while I was there 
um, the opportunity to meet Saul Williams mm. and to hear his work during um, a live listening party of an album, to be able to just kind of give myself the freedom to be a little wild. You know, I'm a first house, Pluto's in my first house in my natal chart. So I am destined to jump off of a, <laughs> that's kind of dark, I'm not gonna say that. I'm destined to just rebirth myself over and over again in one lifetime. And so I feel like that was probably I think anybody watching me at that point, especially when I look back at that point, it was like I went there one way and I came back a completely different other. And for me, what I what I what I think happened is I saw what art could do and what art means is so transformative. And that's something that I would say, but I don't think I really understood that. Like you really the following intuition is really not a joke like it really will change your life yeah. <laughs> and um I found myself meeting people and interacting with people who had seen things I couldn't even imagine who had worked on projects I would have never thought to to even you know think of just the ideas were magnificent they were huge and to be able to spend that time with a family from France mm -hmm. and be immersed in their family and their way of being which was all which was just limitless I mean their 13 year olds were more free than I had ever imagined myself um what they were exposed to at school what they understood about racism and about their place as white people, as Europeans, um, what it means to go to the top of a of a of a cliff and look off and see the entire um, just the beauty of a place and what it is for somebody, not for somebody, for people to build a place. And then one day, years and years and years and years later, people are traveling there just to see it. Like the art that goes into architecture. Mm -hmm. um, I just found myself blown away by the power of art. That's what Paris did for me. Um, I'm forever indebted to the community that sent me, including my family. And um, I'm very much in love with the spirit of Paris. That's awesome. Um, I don't know too many people who have been able to experience Paris um, at all, just to say, but also from that point of view. And, but the, the people that I have been able to speak to who have visited Paris, there's elements to what you said in that as well um in in their experience as well especially from an artist point of view so i mean i the, the entire time you were talking about it, i was like eiffel tower art of uh, saul williams you know those things were just popping into my my brain visually as you were saying um your experience that you just shared with us is very descriptive uh so thank you again for yeah. sharing that experience um what I wanted to do before we wrap up is there are two pieces and I was kind of conflicted because when you were telling the story about Paris, I remember that there's a piece in your book, Thresh and Hold, about Paris. Um, oh, but I yeah, wanted to yeah. stick to what we originally planned <laughs> uh, so that we're not giving the listeners too much of, of the book, Thresh and Hold, if they haven't already purchased it uh, and read it, uh, because we want you, if you haven't done so already, to do that. But if you could uh, humor me uh, for the moment, there's a, uh, a piece that I had associated with the word home uh, called the Black River from Thresh and Hold, if you wouldn't mind reading that for us. Yeah, of course, of course. The Black River, whispered dreams, Spanish moss reached when we, when we moved back to where my parents grew up. I was eating more rice than I knew existed and I did not want to be up and down. The village is known as Jackson Village Road. I didn't understand 
speaking to me in, telling me which of our dead I had, God, I have never prayed, home, 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 home. Why people were stories. I resembled so many cousins and so many questions for as much as I wondered, home. Home, home. I didn't understand home, why people were speaking to me in home, stories telling me home, which of our dead home. I resembled home, so many cousins I had home, and so many questions for God. I have never prayed home as much as I. Home, home, wonder, home, home, home. That is such a beautiful piece. I think part of what makes it so beautiful to me is that there's so many ways that it can be read, but to hear it read by you, the author, the way it was intended, just lands on me very heavily. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you sharing that. One more Thank before you. I let you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's um, no, this is all, I'm happy to be here. There's no rush. Uh, there is one from, I'm a, I am from A Punch and a Kiss that uh, goes back to some really heavy moments uh, during that time of Obama's presidency. Uh, the title is 7-12-2016, President Obama speaks at the funeral of five Dallas police officers. He does not say Alton Sterling or Philando Castillo's names. If you could read that for us as well. Yes. July 12th, 2016, President Obama speaks at the funeral of five Dallas police officers. He does not say Alton Sterling or Philando Castillo's names. I cried. This is what we do when these things happen. Every day, these things happen, meeting us at the crossroad of seeing and unseeing. Apathy consumes agape and unexpressed rage festers into disease. Soon we all go back to sleep, but is there rest when you are hiding? We hide from our mirrors, but we have always had artists to reflect the difference between the people and the state, the difference of lives mattering. It has always been the artists that made us say all of the names, even when we did not know how necessary it was for our souls. For Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Brent Thompson, Patrick Zamerpa, Michael Kroll, Michael Smith, Lauren Ahrens, and Micah Johnson, all dead within one week at the hands of white supremacy, the 500-year-old ideology of domination and oppression that deforms our humanity and kills us. Matthew 7, 1 through 29. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I just realized that I was uh, mispronouncing Philando Castillo's name. So I'm glad that um, we got that pronunciation correct because it's important, right? We're talking about names and, yeah. you know, we talked about identity and for us to be identified as who we are is very important. Uh, so that was one of the parts of this poem that I appreciated and how you shared what your emotions were. Because I think those emotions are things that many of us experienced in different ways during that time and and not just that time but the times before and the times after that uh similar things uh transpired because uh, that was a very tumultuous time uh during which should have been a really groundbreaking historical eight years which in some cases was condensed down to a few uh incidents 
that occurred during Obama's presidency. So that was one of the reasons why I really wanted you to share that with us. So again, thank you for sharing your, your work with us. Um, so what's in store for Marlanda DeKine uh, and your current projects? We talked about Ars Poetica. Um, can you share with us where people may be able to go experience that um, online? Or I know you've got something coming up soon related to yeah. Ars Poetica. Yeah, so there's an excerpt from the world premiere that took place in Brooklyn, New York at the Soapbox Gallery. That's on my webpage at marlandadekine.com. So you can check that out. Um, our upcoming performances are at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia on March 30th and on March 31st will be in DC at the George Washington University in their textile museum. Um, I'll have the opportunity to meet with some of the poetry students at that, at that particular uh, university. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I don't know where else we'll be going, but I know those are what that, that I know that's what's coming up. Um, you know, soul and ancestor workshop is really important to me. And I'm wanting to open that space up for more people to experience it. So far, there's been about, uh, let's, I'd say about 250 folks who've experienced it. Wow. And um, that's been an international reach. And the feedback is, is just showing that it's a space that people need that they didn't know they needed until they're in it. And they've gone through it. And um, I'm really wanting, like, I can, I just get excited about the opportunity to share that with folks. So um, I definitely want people to reach out about that. That's also on my website. Um, Thresh and Hold, the audio book just came out this month. Yes. It's the anniversary month of when the book came out last year, 2022. So you have the opportunity to listen to the poems in my voice. I narrated it at the awesome. Talking Book Studio. Thank you. So yeah, there, there's, there's stuff popping off. Well, glad to hear it as a fan and as a friend. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. that, um, you know, a lot of times when we um, complete a project, there is, you know, oh, this, this euphoria around, oh, it's done. And there might be right. some stuff surrounding it and then it's on to the next project. Um, but I appreciate the fact that this project is living on in so many different ways uh, a year later. Um, and so that people can experience it for the first time, can experience it again, can experience it in different ways. So that's exciting. Um, and I know, well, I can't speak for you, but it seems like you're excited. Or yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very, yeah, I'm very excited about it. Very excited. No doubt. Um, as we're kind of nearing our, our time limit here, is there anything else you want to share uh, with the listeners about um, just anything, really, uh, where we can find you, uh, how to engage with you? I know on your website you have an Engage with Marlanda button, which I think is really cool. Um, anything else you want to share? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can engage with me there. Um, it'll go to my assistant, Eldon, and Eldon will send it through to me. Um, don't be intimidated by that. It just is a process that helps me. Um, on Instagram, I'm at Dekind Soul. On Twitter, I'm at Dekind Soul. On Facebook, I'm at Dekind Soul. And on YouTube, awesome. I'm at Dekind Soul. <laughs> One thing I noticed today was that on Instagram, you have um, kind of how to write a manuscript or, or kind of a little bit about your process in creating a manuscript. Um, yeah. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So, oh man, I'm so excited to be making content that's like valuable to people. So what I wanted people to see was like, there, there are all these little steps that go into the manuscript process. So when you're working on your poetry, it's okay to not know what the themes are that are appearing. You can actually turn it into a little game of like taking scissors and, and cutting lines like of the poem into pieces, throwing them up in the air mm. and then letting it reorder itself and seeing if there's another theme that appears or a new order that comes out 
um, doing the same with stanzas, doing the same with pages. So to listen to your intuition and allow your intuition to guide your creating process so you can see what all is trying to come through you. Um, the next thing was taking the time to, um, let's see, there was intuition, there was the release, but before the release was taking the time to build your team. Mm -hmm. um, so listening, like going through a deep listening process earlier, I talked about having editors, Thresh and Hold, I um, hired an editor. Um, like I didn't have an editor through Hub City, the publisher, I hired an editor on my own. And so what it is to develop a team around you, a small team, you don't need everybody's feedback on your work, but a small team that you trust to listen to your work, to read your work, to give their insight and to really listen to them and ask hard questions. Don't just ask, is it good? Ask really deep questions of them. And then finally to release the work into the world and celebrate the fact that you created something, that you had the courage to share it and that you can't control how it will be received in the world, but you can control that you hit the button for it to be out there. And you can occupy yourself with other things. Your creative self needs somewhere else to go whenever you release something. It's easy to fall into a depression and it's not a bad thing to fall into a depression after you birth something, but a way to combat that is to give your creative self something else to do. So intuition, deep listening, and release. And follow me at The Kind Soul. I'm going to have more content like that to, to share with you all. Awesome. That I really appreciated that post, um, amongst other posts, but that's what stood out to me today. So I'm glad that you will have more content surrounding that. Um, and I can't think of a better way to, to wrap up this podcast. So thank you so much, Marlanda DeKind, for uh, joining the It Is What It Is uh, podcast gumbo featuring me, Max Litt. Uh, yeah, I so you. much enjoyed this. I look forward to uh, additional guest appearances on the podcast. Yes. And, uh, again, thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you. It is what it is. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Peace. Peace. Mm -hmm.